got your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 today. As we continue our journey through that uh, glorious book in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. And I've titled my message, God's King. But I want to ask you the question, who is your king? Okay? That's where we're going. God's king, but the question for us is, who is your king? And before I do that, I just need to say, um, we're not a, a large congregation, but we sure can sing. And I love that. I've been in, I've been in churches twice the size and, and, and haven't heard people sing. And so... Um, that's just a good thing. It's just a good thing. Let's pray. Father, I'm just burdened at this moment. Quite frankly, there's nothing I could say that would be of value or would be life-changing for these individuals that are sitting in each seat here. But Father, I know and I believe that there is something that You can say through Your Word that would radically change us and would be of incredible, infinite, eternal value. And so, Lord, I please, I beg that You would speak this morning. That it would not be Elroy, but that it would be You. And Father, I ask for Your glory and because of Your mercy that You would change us. That our affections and our love for You would grow and flourish. That we would want to be with You this week moment by moment and day by day. And so, Father, I ask, would You please speak even this morning? In Your most precious name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 16. Before we actually read it, I want to draw your attention to three verses in this text that I think might help us as you're as we're reading to kind of take note of and uh, chew on a little bit as we're even reading through it. The first is found in verse 1 of chapter 16 where our text simply says, For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. This is God speaking to Samuel. For I have provided for myself a king for my sons. among his sons, but just chew on that. Then let your eyes drift down to verse 7. I am convinced, I might be wrong, but I believe this is the hinge verse of the entire book. I believe this is the sweet spot of the book. I believe this is kind of the heart of this book. Verse 7. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart is a second phrase I want you to chew on this morning. And then the third one is found in verse 18. This is what the people or Saul's servants are speaking of David. And I want, to note, want you to notice the very last phrase, and the Lord is with him. That's going to be our, the heart of our third point. The Lord is with him. And so we've got this phrase in verse 1, For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Then in verse 7, The Lord looks on the heart. And then in verse 18, we find the Lord is with him. Now let's read the entire chapter. A little shorter than last week. So I could do some preamble stuff, okay? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send them, send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy or ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Verse 14, hard verse. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. 
and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in play and a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. He became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David, looked, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed, and it was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. 23 verses. Who is your king? Who is your king? Who, who is your king? I want you to notice the first, my first point is God's king is the chosen one. Did you notice that? In verse 1, we, we read it at the beginning. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. If you have the NIV in your hands, it'll say, for I have chosen. If you have the New American in your hands, it says, I have selected. For I have provided. This is God speaking. Remember, the people had provided the last king. And how did that go? Not so good. God was going to provide a king. One that he had chosen. One he had selected. One that he had provided now, as, as we look at that, don't, don't, it's important to read the text carefully. And don't skim over those first few verses. How long will you grieve over Saul? This is God speaking to Samuel. You remember the last chapter, God was finished with Saul. It was done. Now, Saul was going to remain king and will remain king for some time. But he had disobeyed God. And remember, we talked about his arrogance. We talked about his, uh, his uh, disobedience, his deception, his sin. We saw, talked about his idolatry. We talked about his, even his witchcraft in chapter 15. But you see Samuel grieving over Saul. I think Samuel liked Saul. And I think even more importantly, Samuel loved the people of God. And he was grieved when the leader of the people of God was acting in rebellion against God. He was grieved over the sin of Saul. And I just look at that and I go, what do I grieve over? What are the things that bother me? What are the things that bother you? Does it bother you when you see your fellow brothers and sisters continuing in sin, continuing in rebellion, 
continuing to choose other things over what God has clearly said. It should grieve us. We we should be people who are called to lovingly speak the truth in their lives, not as as if we're better than them. But it should bother us. It should trouble us. It should put us on our knees. And we don't know how much time has elapsed between chapter 15 and chapter 16, but God says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? Now, in our grieving and in our discouragement and in our depression, where do we go for help? I think Samuel goes to God's Word. God speaks to him. God gives him good news. I've got, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. That's good news. I'm not done with my people. Saul has rejected me, and therefore I've rejected him, but I'm not done with my people. There are days when I, when I, when I wrestle with and I, and I grieve over the sin of my life, the sin in, in others' lives, when, I just, when I'm just discouraged, and when I open up this book in my quiet time and God just speaks to me, and I go, oh, thank you. There's a song I love to listen to. It says, We Will Survive. Andrew Peterson, beautiful song. And, and he's, talking, he's, he's, he's talking to his wife, and he's, he's talking about, he says, I, life doesn't look familiar for me. It, it, things are troubling me right now. And he says, I need you to tell me the story. I, I need to hear the story of the king. I need to hear the story about Jesus because if I, in hearing the story, then I know we will survive. And God speaks. God speaks to Samuel. and says, I have provided for myself a king. People, if you want to live, you need to be in the book. You really do. You need to read it. You need to talk to each other about it. If it's dry, say, God, would you open my eyes to behold wondrous things in this book? There's times I read the book and I put it down. I go, what did I read? And I, and, and I have to confess right there. I say, Lord, speak to me, please. And I reopen the book and I say, God, would you help me to see something in this book? Help me to see you. I think that's exactly what God did to Samuel. And God gives him good news. He says, get up, go to work, basically. Now, it's interesting. Samuel also is practical. Saul will kill me if I go. We're already getting a hint of this Saul, what he's really like. I think Samuel knew what he was really like. God had an answer for that. But did you notice the people in Bethlehem are nervous about Samuel coming? He's a prophet. Um, be careful of teachers that all they have for you is a good word. 
A faithful man of God, a faithful man of the Scriptures will say hard things. The last chapter, the last thing we see Samuel doing is cutting to pieces King Agag. Now, I, I don't have the authority to do that, okay? But I do have the authority to take God's Word and say, this is what God has said. And if it's true that we are sinful people, that we don't measure up, there's going to be things in this book that are going to go, oh, I don't like that. That's good for you. Listen to it. Hear it. Repent and then obey Him. Be careful of teachers who only say things you want to hear, that, that you want to hear. Now, I, I get it. There are some teachers that all they do is negative, negative, negative. You don't want that either because there's good news in the book, okay? But the people in Bethlehem are wondering, is Samuel coming here to be, is he going to come as acting like a judge? And he says, no, I come peacefully, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So the Lord has chosen a king. Chosen a king. This, this, son, this uh, week as I was doing my devotions and preparing for this uh, passage, I came across Luke chapter 9, and I love the fact that every story whispers the name of Jesus. Because it, we won't get too far in the story of David and we go, this guy's just, he just he's great, he's better than Saul, but he just doesn't cut it. Then I read the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. Just listen to what God says about Jesus. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Every story whispers the name of Jesus. Let's move on. I wanted you to draw your attention to verse 7 because I really think verse 7 is, is uh, the heart of this, this entire book. But in that, I want you to notice in verses 6 through 13 that in choosing the king, his king, the Lord has looked upon the humble one. So we've got the chosen one. Now we've got the humble one. I used to always read verse 7 that, that, that man looks on the external and, then, and, and, and God looks at the heart. And so what I always read in that is God picks the good people. The good people in the heart. You know, they're you know, they're really not too bad. And then I'd look in the mirror and go, hey, that's me. Well, I'm just being honest, okay? But the rest of scripture doesn't say that. Like when I read the rest of scripture, it tells me that 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 our heart it's deceitful. Jesus speaks about out of our heart comes all kinds of like ugliness. Have you ever said something and go, well, that's not really me? Well, that's actually probably it. If it came out, probably is, says there's something there that's not so good. So what is he saying here? And, and I think we have to look at the entire chapter and particularly the section to understand what God is saying when he says he looks upon the heart. What was he looking for? I want to draw your attention down to verse... Um, 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He's gone through seven. 
And God says, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Okay, so there must be somebody else. And Jesse says, well, there remains the youngest. In, in the original language, the youngest can also be translated the smallest. Interesting. You just tuck that in the back of your brain. It's probably both. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. He's not really important. These are the ones you needed to look at. He's out taking care of the sheep. In fact, in chapter 17, uh, you've got David looking after the sheep and his brothers, the important ones, are out fighting the battles with King Saul. Now, tuck that in the back of your mind, and let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Remember Samuel's mother? She was without child. She was grieving and weeping and crying. That's where we met her in chapter two, chapter 1. And she's crying out for a child, and God answers her prayer and gives her a child. And so chapter 2, she prays out to God. And in chapter 2, we read these words. Verse 3, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Though the word there, arrogance, also can mean height. Pride, height. Did you notice Saul was a, a head taller or head head taller than everybody else? I, I think the author is trying to paint a picture. It's not that tall people, because that would be anybody taller than me, are bad people. Did you get that? It's not that tall people are bad. It, 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 he, the point is he's doing a play on words. Saul is arrogant. We saw that in chapter 15. One of the very words, presumption, literally means arrogance. He thought he knew better than God. God said, do this. He says, I'm going to do this. Now, he was quiet in his rebellion. He, made it, he covered it up. He, it was kind of a soft-pedaled rebellion, but it was rebellion. He was going to do it his way. Most of our rebellion is that way anyways. I think very few rebel full force. Most of it's kind of quiet. I know God said that, but I'm, I'm going to do most of what God said, but I'm going to just do this thing on my own. point that I believe God is making in chapter 16 when he says the Lord looks upon the heart is he looks upon those who are low. He looks upon those who are humble. Yes, in attitude, but also in reality. Let me try to explain. I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning, and it was Paul Tripp, and he said, uh, he says, every day, he says, there is enough, he, says, he said it better than I'm going to say it, but he says, there's enough evidence in my life 
to show that I should be humble. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he's, there's enough empirical evidence <laughs> in my life every day to show that I am really of lowness. I think the point is, and I think as we're gonna as we're gonna be introduced to David, we're gonna we're gonna be introduced to a guy that doesn't think so highly of himself, actually understands who he really is. He's humble in attitude, but he knows in reality he's also low. God is good and God is great and God is glorious and God is gracious and David recognizes he's a sinner in need of this glorious, great, good, gracious God every day. There's enough empirical evidence every day in my life it, oh, the other day, I love Lynn. Like, it, like I love her. My favorite is person. But I was short with her the other day. When I'm short with her, I'm actually thinking and acting as if I'm better than her. Truth is, I'm not. I don't know, I went to the store, I think, and I came back, and I was like, the whole time I went to the store, I was miserable, and on the way back, I was miserable, and I was like, okay, I just need to say, here's your stuff, Lynn, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. Empirical evidence, just chalk it up. Yep, I'm actually here. I'm, I, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. I think that's David. That's what God's looking at. That's David. Yeah, he was the youngest. Yeah, he was the smallest. And sometimes, and I think often God uses the least likely candidates for his, for his work. Billy Graham passed away this, this week. If you look at where he came from and look at his history and look at his education, it's amazing that God used him in the way he did. He did. It really is. God gets the glory. God does that kind of stuff. But often those individuals also recognize that they aren't, they haven't arrived. Too often we get to a place where we think we arrived, and then we get in trouble. And so there's the chosen one, and there's the humble one. And you're going to see this theme, I think, throughout this, this book. But again, every story whispers his name, doesn't it? go to the New Testament. Now Jesus he is not low because he's perfect, right? He is all glorious. He's great. He's, he's uh, good. He's perfectly good. He is, he is everything. He's, he's, he's none other than God himself. He's the exact representation of God. That's amazing. And yet what does Philippians tell us? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of what? A servant. 
Every story whispers his name. This one's no different. And then let's, let's look at the last point. I know we're, we're doing okay, actually. I'll somehow drag it on. I know I will. The last point, the anointed one. Verses, it, it, verse 13, it starts out, but did you notice, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. In the Old Testament, you see often the Spirit falling upon an individual. And, and I want you to understand that we're not talking here, this is an issue of salvation. What we're talking about here is God is equipping, empowering, giving them the ability. So you have the Spirit falling upon those who are artists so they can do the work for the, for the uh, temple and for the tabernacle. And you have... Uh, the Spirit of God falling upon Saul and falling upon David so they can do the work of the king. And that's what you have here. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Notice in verse 18, this is what the servants were noticing when they saw David. Behold, I have, uh, I have seen a son of Jesse in the Bethlehemite. He, he, here's a nobody taking care of the sheep. And some of Saul's servants have seen him. This is God at work. He, the chosen one, the provided one. Like he's, he's, he's gloriously, graciously prepping the way and making him known. But they said, we've seen him. And guess what? He's skillful in playing. Spirit. Give him that ability. Not only is he skillful in playing, but look in verse 18. Else, what else he's good at? He's a man of valor, a man of war. He's got some power. He's got some strength. And we look in chapter 17. Uh, look at verse, I think it's 35. Oh, yeah, he's talking about the bear and the, and the, uh, the, that he had, and the lion that he kills. And in that context, in verse 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so God was, God's Spirit had rushed upon him and gives him ability in the, in the context of war. And he's, did you notice he's prudent in speech? What comes out of his mouth shows that God is with him, that the Spirit has come upon him. Did you notice that? Jesus is something fascinating in Matthew chapter 12 that I think is significant here. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 34. Let me read this for you. encourage you to go there this week sometime. He says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, but for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Even Jesus wasn't always nice. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Evidently, David was prudent in his speech, which was a reflection, according to Jesus, that the Spirit was upon him, it was obvious to the servants around Saul that David was none other than one that God was with. 
this, this King David was the anointed one. When, when Samuel comes and anoints him with oil, that's just the symbol that God's Spirit would rush upon him and equip him and empower him and be with him so that he could actually be the king of the people of God. You know, later, I think this is significant and important. Later, when David sins, commits adultery with Bathsheba, when David kills Uriah, murders him, he cries out to God in in Psalm Psalm 51, verse 11 and 12. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This entire chapter, David is crying out to God and he's repenting for what he's done. He does it in Psalms 32 as well. And what he's saying is not, Lord, he's not worried about his so much his salvation, but he's worried about the joy of his salvation. He's, he's, he's worried about the fruit of that salvation. He wants to continue to taste it. Don't take your spirit away from me. Sounds like Moses uh, in Exodus 32 that's saying, God, you have to go with us. Don't send us there on our own. There's no way we can win the battle without you. And David later is crying out, God, don't take your spirit away from me because uh, as your king, I need your spirit to lead. I need your spirit to speak prudently. I need your spirit to help me conquer the enemies. I need your spirit, Lord, so that I would know and the, 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 the joy of, of my salvation. Who is your king? Who is your king? What is it that you love above all else? What is it you want more than anything else? What is it that you enjoy? more than anything else? What is it that you talk about more than anything else? What is it that you think about more than anything else? That's your king. That's what you love. And yet God has given us a king who's the chosen one and he says, listen to him. God has given us a king who humbled himself it took on the form of a servant. He became a servant so that I could have life forever. He, he came to the place where he was willing to die to take my place. Oh, my goodness. He's a humble one. But he was also anointed one. It's in Luke. Do you, do you remember in Luke? Luke chapter 4. The Spirit comes down upon him like a dove and, and, and the, 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 the Father speaks to him. The Spirit has anointed him. He is king. Who is your king? Will you listen to him? Will you love him? a passage in Luke, Luke chapter 11, and I think I will close with this, particularly verse 13. This is Jesus talking. 
He says, if you then who are evil, that's what Jesus says, okay? Jesus isn't about flowery speech all the time. If you then who are evil, he says to his crowd, know how to give good gifts to your children, and I get that. I want to give good things to my kids. Sometimes I wish I could give more good things to my kids. I want to give them, it's probably good I don't have more things so that because I would just give more things to them but he says Elry you who you're evil and you give good gifts to your children he says how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him I think Jesus is simply saying here you want a good gift from the father Ask for his presence. Ask for his anointing. That's better than money. That's better than a wife or a husband. It's better than a job. That's better than children. That's better than that's a sweet spot. But David was full of the Spirit. He was anointed. As is our Savior, Jesus. And so I don't think we've exhausted that text. Oh, I challenge you. Read it. Think about it. Chew on it. Meditate upon it. Pray over it. But notice that this David is the chosen one, God's grace. The humble one, he's low. <laughs> and the anointed one, the Spirit was with him. And understand that David is just a little picture that points to a greater king, none other than Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing me this week to wrestle with this text and to recognize how often there's so many things I'd rather have but than you. Thank you for your grace for providing not only for the people of that day, King David, but Lord, you provided David for us. If there was no David, there would be no Jesus. Father, I thank you that David points, foreshadows, whispers so many things about your son, Jesus. Father, I ask that we would hunger and thirst for his presence, the presence of your spirit, that we would love you more than anything else, that we would be like Moses and say, God, don't go without us. Go with us. Go with us. Father, as we sing even now, would you speak to us even in the words we sing? But Lord, would you continue to work in our heart? Would you continue to prep us and shape us so that we can be your mouthpieces in this world and in this community? Thank you for your love for us. In your precious name we pray.
Again, this is, we do this in remembrance of him, but every time we come around the table, we remember the incredible story of Jesus Christ and what he did, why he came. His body was put to death upon the cross. He took our place. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. If you're a follower of this Jesus, if you love him, if you know him, I encourage you to come. You don't come because you've got it all together, but you come because he's made it possible so that you could come. Let's enjoy him. <laughs>